The following episode contains explicit language and may not be suitable for all listeners. Produced by the iLab at WBUR, Boston. Look at me, I have no family. I have no, uh, no love interests or nothing. But the only thing I got, and it's the best thing in the world, is Jesus Christ. One, one that made us all number two. And I'm, that's my, my deal now. See, that's why I'm so happy about it, because... What, about this? Yeah. What we're doing? Cause, yeah, because he, he promised me he'd help me. It, and I thought, well, he just forgot about me. Well, Jesus didn't call me. Your records called me. I know that, but I mean, I understand, but the movement was there somehow. I don't know how it happened. Billy Joe Shaver and I are in the middle of Texas, sitting in his van, heading to a gig at a place called the Redneck Country Club. I love you, Tony. He's hoping that my profile of him in this podcast is going to give him his big break after more than 50 years in the music business. Are you 70? 77. 77, so you're on the road all the time, right? Just about. In 2018, it isn't that rare to see Mick Jagger or Paul McCartney, both in their 70s, strutting across the stage. But they have their millions of dollars to fly them in and out of cities, limos to take them to arena concerts. What you don't see is many 77-year-olds in a used van trekking across the country to play bars for a few thousand bucks night after night. But Billy Joe Shaver does, close to 200 shows a year. And it would be one thing if he was some washed up or never made a wannabe. But he wrote this. Piano rolled blues, danced holes in my shoes. There weren't another other way to be. That's why you should care about this old man in a van. His songs have been covered by Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley, and Dylan. He all but invented outlaw country music, writing one of the greatest records of all time, Waylon Jennings' Honky Tonk Heroes. That's Waylon's voice, but the Green Gables he's singing about? Chances are Waylon never set foot in that honky-tonk. It was outside Waco where Billy Joe Shaver's mom worked when he was a kid. And just like all of Billy Joe's lyrics, this song reads like an autobiography. Billy Joe's Texas-sized life story runs through all of his songs. Only an eighth grade education, years as a country music outlaw, the death of his only child, his mother, and his ex-wife, And yes, that time he shot a man in the face. Billy Joe Shaver sings the truth. He can't help it. It pours out of him like a Texas flood. I'm Washington Post National Arts reporter Jeff Edgers, and from the Post and WBUR in Boston, this is Edge of Fame, a podcast about the life that happens before, behind, and beyond the spotlight. We're on the road with Billy Joe Shaver, the greatest country music songwriter you've probably never heard of. 
it doesn't matter what he's getting paid or if he's paid at all. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm not making anything. If I break even, I'm doing good. But I, I uh, you know, I have to pay for the gas and the, right. and the motel. If we don't have one, I'll pay for it. Food. And um, yeah, yeah. that's the way it goes. But I, I had to keep going. But I knew, I believed in myself. And I decided, you know what, I probably will die soon. So I'm just going to go out like this because why would I want to save money? I mean, I spend it, I might as well spend it on something good. It doesn't take very long hanging with Billy Joe to get to talking about impending death, usually his, and chronic pain and illness. You're in pain? Well, yeah, a little bit. My back hurts all the time. But that's because... I need my back operated on, and my hips, and my shoulder, and I've got this arthritis thing going on, so yeah. But on stage, Billy Joe turns into something else. A lot of people think I'm on something because I'm always jumping around and happy. I'm just whistling by the graveyard, man. If I get down and go to thinking about stuff, I'll always start crying. You know, and I don't want to do that, and I just stay high all the time, just make myself that way. After the show, we load back into the van and start rolling down Route 10, a Central Texas highway. Yeah, we're in Columbus, Texas right now. We're on our way to New Braunfels. There's no hot water at the motel, so no showers. But Shaver looks the same as the day before. Denim tucked into denim, cowboy hat over his stringy white hair. Billy Joe has a little house outside Waco, Texas, but like any good rambling man, he prefers to be on the road and he's used to being broke. He was raised by his grandmother. When he was a baby, they had so little food, she would put soaked pinto beans in a rag, squeeze it, and he'd drink the water. My grandma, I don't know how, she raised us on her old age pension. That's hard to believe, isn't it? His father, Virgil, was a drunk who beat his mother and split town before he was born. His mother, Victory, basically abandoned him, leaving him with his grandmother, perhaps the only woman who had ever loved him completely. You know about my mother not really liking me that much, but she let me come, she let me come to, to uh, the Green Gables where she worked. And uh, What was the Green Gables like? What's last night I, I told that story. Like, yeah. Well, the Green Gables, it was just a big honky-tonk, the biggest one in town. When he was 12, his grandmother died. My, I stood across the street from where my grandma lay in her casket. I couldn't even go in there. They wouldn't let me in there because uh, my uncles claimed that I was the reason why she is dead because she wouldn't let them put me in an orphan's home. But you, what they're saying is her having to raise you yeah, is what did her. her in. Yeah. Shortly after that, he quit school, wrote songs, landed in a Mexican jail briefly, lost two fingers in a sawmill accident, met his first wife, Brenda, whom he would marry and divorce three different times, and they had a baby, a little boy named Eddie. The whole time, he was writing. I always liked to write. It, it was my way of escaping. It was, it was really... And he thought he needed to get out of Texas if his songs were going to get noticed. So in 1966, he hopped a cantaloupe truck and headed to Nashville. He was rough around the edges and didn't fit in. Chris Christofferson was one of the first artists to notice Billy Joe's writing ability. In 1972, Christofferson recorded Billy Joe's original, Good Christian Soldier. Cause it's hard to be a Christian soldier. 
Shaver made a record of his own, but it didn't make a splash. Then at a music festival in Texas in 1972, he ended up in a trailer with a bunch of musicians passing the guitar around. When the guitar got to Billy Joe, he played his song Willie the Wandering Gypsy and Me. A single soul living can put brand or handle on Willie the Wandering Gypsy and Me. Halfway through, Waylon Jennings busts in. He said, whose song is that? And I said, well, that's fine. He said, you mean you wrote it? I said, sure I did. He said, well, I got to have that. He said, I got to sing that song. And he actually learned, sat down and learned that song right there. <laughs> Waylon Jennings, already a star in Nashville, invited Billy Joe to his studio and asked him to bring some more songs. He promised to record a whole album. But when Billy Joe got there, Waylon wouldn't give him the time of day. So Billy Joe refused to leave until he saw Waylon. Finally, Waylon walked down the hall. You said you'd do it now, Mom. If you, if you don't listen to him, at least listen to him. I'm going to whip your ass right here in front of God and everybody. And it, it really got on his goat, you know, because all the people got stirred up and ready for the fight. Because I was a big old boy. I could have whipped him real easy. And I thought I could anyway. Waylon relented and dragged Billy Joe into a room. He said, I'm going to do something with you I've never done with anybody. He said, I'm going to tell you what you do. You, uh, you play me one song. If I don't like that song, you're going to get your ass up and get out of here, and I ain't never going to see you again. I said, well, that's fair enough. And I went ahead and did a Ain't No God in Mexico. Ain't no God in Mexico. Ain't no way to understand. Now that border crossing feeling makes a fool out of a man. If I'd never felt the sunshine, hell, I would not cuss the rain. If my feet could fit a railroad track, I guess I'd have been a train. And of course he said, oh, okay, all right, you played me another. He didn't seem like he was real shocked or anything, but he was a little bit, I can tell. Next came Old Five and Dimers, then a few more. And then about five songs in, he played Honky Tonk Heroes. And when I got to that, he looked at me and awful look, forlorn look, and he went, damn it. It was almost like he was cussing me. He said, I know what I gotta do now. You know, he like he, he claimed he didn't believe in God. But I think he believed in faith, you know. And that's how Honky Tonk Heroes was made, a record that came out in 1973. Later, they'd go out and tour together. Waylon was at his cokehead worst, his skin crawling so badly he'd scratch himself raw and couldn't sleep. Shaver's unofficial job spoke to the singer's bleak condition. He would help jam Jennings into a tight crevice in the back of the bus so that his arms couldn't move. Eventually, he'd drift off to sleep. There was a chill between them after Honky Tonk Heroes, especially when a Rolling Stone article praised Shaver's songwriting. Still, in the end, did it matter? Even if he did nothing else, even if Shaver had headed back to Waco after Honky Tonk Heroes, spent his days fishing for bass in the Brazos River, he'd have made his mark. But that music wouldn't let up. Yeah, the devil made me do it the first time. The second time I done it on my own. Lord put a handle on 
After the break, on the road, where it all falls apart. I took a picture of the moon the other night. It's like 68 years. It's closest to the Earth that it's been in 68 years. It was big and bright. Mm. No Looked clouds good. out that night? Looked good. Yeah. I almost went to howling. <laughs> Billy Joe and I have been in the van for a while now, and he's getting introspective. When I first started, I had really good song. And the thing I do, I start, as long as there was somebody there that worked, that was patting their foot, it's good enough for me. When I tell him the people credit him with basically inventing the genre of outlaw country music. I don't care. It's more like an outcast, actually. To tell you the truth, it's more outcast than outlaw. Because they just didn't want to see you coming. They didn't want to want you around. Outlaw, outcast, call it what you want. But what Billy Joe helped create, along with Willie Nelson and, of course, Waylon, was an answer to the Nashville sound. That was a smoother kind of music, with strings and background vocals. People like George Jones and Charlie Rich. Great songs, just not what you would hear in a honky-tonk. Outlaw Country dug deeper. The lyrics were more introspective without trying to be slick. The music was raw with more than a hint of rock and roll. Billy Joe knows how key he was in creating that style. He just wishes his pioneering had led to something more. And he still holds out hope that his next record might finally get him what he deserves. After the success of Honky Tonk Heroes, he continued to write and tour, but no songs ever charted. Billy Joe pushed on. His son Eddie grew up, learned to play guitar, and joined his band, adding a harder edge to his classic Georgia on a Fast Train. He even started acting. His friend Robert Duvall wrote the role of Joe in the Oscar-nominated film The Apostle just for him. But generally, if you heard his songs, you heard them in the mouths of other, bigger singers. Not just Waylon, but Johnny Cash and Emmy Lou Harris. Or check this out from Bob Dylan. It's not a cover, it's a tribute. I'm a listener to Billy Joe Shaver. And I'm reading James Joyce. So what the hell happened? I mean, but then again, I could have got a lot further down the road if I'd have kissed ass, but you wind up kissing ass, you're liable to kiss a bunch of asses you shouldn't, you didn't have to kiss, <laughs> you know? And I ain't gonna do that, so fuck it, you know? I like that, I think that's a good way to live. Yeah, it is, it's, it's a good way for me to live, I, I feel good. But he's also too sure of himself, of his talent, to feel like it's his fault he's not more popular. Well, everybody was scared I was going to be better than Hank Williams. Nobody warned me to be better than Hank Williams. Well, maybe you shouldn't have told him you were. Well, maybe not. You know, if I'd, if I'd been in a boxing ring like Ali was, Ali was doing it, telling him, but he, he could knock the shit out of him. But me, 
I'm happy to depend on people, powers that be. And it didn't work out. Because I really am great. I mean, I'm, I know I am. I know I'm great. I know I'm probably maybe one of the best. Robert Duvall, who he's stayed friends with all these years, told me in a phone call that Billy Joe may be his own worst enemy. I, I don't know why he has joined uh, more of the mainstream with the country people. I, you know, he's so well-respected. There's something all self-destructive that he never quite makes that step. Self-destructive, perhaps. But to me, he seems like the hardest working man in country music and still a badass. At one of his gigs, a man was standing with his arms crossed in front of the stage. He looked bored. Billy Joe just snaps, starts yelling at him. You're standing up here in front here, and you got all these damn looks on your face like you, like you hate the fucking world, and you're in front of all a bunch of people that likes me. Bear in mind, this is the sober Billy Joe. He used to drink a lot, but these days his worst habit is six or seven Red Bulls a day. I don't want to be the slave of anything. You know, I don't want... I used to be a drunk. I used to drink. And I, I, I quit that because uh, I didn't want to be under the thumb of that shit, you know. And besides that... So here's an odd thing, or maybe it's not. Billy Joe's the ultimate rebel, right? Badass to the core. And yet while we're rambling around, he brought up something I'd never expect. Something that was about as establishment as you can get. And it cuts to the conflict of being Billy Joe Shaver. Wanting to do it your own way, but also wanting to be respected and appreciated. And, and hopefully, I'll get in the Country Music Hall of Fame. You'd like to? That's what I want. Ben but you after. said you didn't care about the awards. But yeah, you but get in I want in the Country Music Hall of Fame. And why is that? Because my grandmother used to rock me in her chair, and she told me that I would get, I would be in that. Because she, we finally got a radio, and we would listen to the Grand Ole Opry, and she said, "One day you'll be on that Grand Ole Opry, and you'll be in the Country Music Hall of Fame." And she told me all that. She didn't have no money or nothing, and and she had that to give me. You know the power of suggestion. And it went in there and stayed there. For a guy who doesn't really care about awards mm-hmm. and being praised, yeah. is that the one thing that would sort of make... It'd make it all right with me. I could die then. Billy Joe got right with God, but that wouldn't ease his pain. There was a particularly dark period, 1999. Brenda, his on-again, off-again wife, the woman he married and divorced three times, died of cancer. My first wife was my sweetheart. She, she just turned, when she, she was pregnant, and she just turned 17 when I married her. Then his mother died. And then on New Year's Eve, the following year, his son Eddie died suddenly. He was just 38. He talks a lot about Eddie, mostly just memories. He was a proud father of a gifted musician. He talks about him every night on stage. But Eddie was a great guitar player, and he was a great friend of mine, and he's my son, my only, only child. And uh, he wound up with some friends one night in, uh, in a motel there in Waco, Texas. He wound up dead from a heroin overdose. And uh, if, if you have friends or family, that some of you do have some that are on this stuff, you know what I'm talking about, heroin and stuff like that. It's just too, too much. You got to help them. He wrote Star in My Heart for him. He always sings it a cappella. You are the star in my heart, 
guess you've always known Though we're many worlds apart I'm still your friend And friends will always be friends forever Don't waste your precious thoughts Like everything else, he doesn't turn away from talking about Eddie. Here we are at a roadside restaurant. But we had some good times together. We had some bad, but most of them was good. And every day, no matter what, if we had a big argument or anything, we'd always, if we, if we were around, we'd talk to each other face to face, or he'd call me and say, I'm sorry, Dad, you know, and I'd say, I'm sorry, too. We'd go to bed not, not hating each other. Get up the next day and start the same damn thing again, but... His friend, Robert Duvall, said there was only one thing that got him through that period. How did you get through it? He kind of grabbed his heart and said, Jesus Christ. Well, now you can't say that in New York City up north, but certain Southern guys can say that, you know, about their religion. You know, there's a, there's a very basic thing with them, you know. That's what he said, Jesus Christ got me through it, you know. Then he wrote that song about, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't love Jesus, go to hell. If you don't love Jesus, go to hell. Take your rotten rags of righteousness and stuff them up yourself. If you don't love Jesus, go to hell. He didn't stop playing. He even played a show the night Eddie died. But then, a few years later, he almost had to stop. He was with his second wife, Wanda, at Papa Joe's saloon outside Waco. Billy Joe didn't know anyone, so while his wife played Texas Hold'em... I'm sitting there, not bothering nobody, and I actually had a beer. And I don't even drink, man. I just, I'm, I'm just kind of nursing it, you know. I'm not going to drink the whole damn thing. And uh, this guy comes in, and he's, he's built like a damn fire haggard, you know, one of them. According to Billy Joe, this guy starts making trouble, talking smart, pushing Billy Joe around, showing off a knife, passing around a bottle of Jack Daniels. Billy Joe gets agitated and finally snaps. I went back over to him. I said, look, man, you're going to have to apologize to me. Everything will be all right if you'll just apologize. And, of course, he says, fuck you. I'm not going to apologize to you. I'm going to kill you. So we start for the back door, you know. We're going to take it outside. Take it outside. That's not one you want to hear in Texas. Billy Joe goes out first, makes his way to his wife's car where he happens to keep a handgun. Then he stands and waits, pistol in his pocket. But all of a sudden he comes out. He comes out fired, man. And he, two or three times at least, I'm pretty sure three times, he shot at me. But he didn't hit me. And I just come out of my pocket with my little point to I didn't think I'd hit him. I just thought, well, I'll breeze one by him. And it went pow. Hit him right between the mother and the fucker, you know, right now. And blood, shit, flying everywhere. And <laughs> so wonder didn't kill him. So it hit him in the head, in the yeah, face. Yeah, in the and, face. And what, what, the bullet went through his cheek? Yeah, uh-huh. It went through his cheek, lodged back there somewhere. But it didn't kill him or nothing, but it could have, you know, if it if it'd been over just a hair. You're a good kill. shot? I didn't know it was. <laughs> I never had fired that. I never had fired that thing. And so you I, hit him in the face, then what happens? Yeah, well, I hit him in the face. He, he drops his, 
he drops his weapons. He had a knife in one hand and a gun in the other, and he just dropped the boat, and he says, I'm sorry. And I Jesus Christ, he just said that before. He didn't go back into the bar. And I got in my truck, and I went to my hiding place, which is down the roadways. And uh, I ain't going to tell you where it's at. And, uh, you can't tell me where you're hiding. Oh, uh, I don't want to. But but it's is it's a, a place. It's a house. Don't don't be. All right, okay. Sorry, I didn't mean. I know. I, I, shit. No, I won't. I won't. I don't want to know your hiding place. I'm sorry. I'm not going to your hiding place. No, I know you're not, cause you don't know where it's at. But he couldn't stay there because there was a warrant out for his arrest. He was indicted for aggravated assault, and there was a three-day trial. Robert Duvall and Willie Nelson came to support him. Here's Willie. We were in court, and I was character witness for Billy Joe, and, uh, and Billy Joe told the guy, that I want my bullet back. <laughs> the guy still had the bullet in, the, in his head. He was sitting there trying to get Billy Joe in trouble. You can't fuck with him, that's for sure. If you're looking for trouble, you just found it. Billy Joe said it was self-defense and was found not guilty. He was 70. After almost going to jail for 20 years, what did Billy Joe do? The only thing he knew how. He turned the whole thing into a country song. I'm a wacko from Waco, ain't no doubt about it. Shot a man there in the head, but can't talk much about it. He was trying to shoot me, but it took too long to aim. Anybody in my place would have done the same. I don't start my he sang this song both nights I saw him play. He's a wacko, an outlaw, an outcast, a poet with an eighth-grade education. After two days on the road, I was still trying to figure Billy Joe out as we left the honky-tonk to drive home the two hours to Waco. It was after midnight, and again, we turned towards sickness and death. No, they told me I was on my deathbed. His recent hospital scare for an intestinal blockage. He said he didn't tell anyone. He didn't want any visitors. I want to die by myself, damn it. You know? No. At least one thing I can do without a co-writer. <laughs> Even with so many loved ones no longer here and death, well, hovering somewhere, Billy Joe keeps singing. And I get the sense that even if the Country Music Hall of Fame doesn't give him the credit he deserves, Billy Joe knows his music will live forever. Don't believe me? He wrote a song about it. You're gonna miss me when I'm gone Nobody here will ever find me But I will always be around Just like the songs I leave behind me I'm gonna live forever now If you haven't already, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Edge of Fame is a production of The Washington Post and WBUR, Boston's NPR station. This episode was produced by Catherine Brewer and edited by Jessica Alpert and Iris Adler. Sound designed by John Parati and Paul Vikas. Our executive producers are Jessica Alpert, Jessica Stahl, and me. For more information about today's show and other episodes of Edge of Fame, go to WashingtonPost.com slash Edgers Podcast. If you do the Twitter thing, you can find me at Jeff Edgers. That's Jeff spelled G-E-O-F-F. See you next week.
<laughs> <laughs> Do you think you're gonna punch me before we're done with this? 